Welcome to Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and I'm joined by Heartbeat International's President, Jarell Godsey. And our guest today is Missy Stone. She is the CEO for Reprotection. Now, this is an organization that will be uh, exhibiting at our upcoming Heartbeat Annual Conference. So if you're at a conference in Jacksonville, Florida, make sure you stop by the Reprotection booth there and say hello to Missy. Uh, so she became involved in the pro-life movement when she was just 14 after attending the March for Life. Uh, she has a degree in political science. She joined Students for Life of America in 2013 and has um, just worked with over a thousand student groups. So she's very familiar with teaching the pro-life message, especially to young people. Um, she served on the board of Choices Women's Center in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So she's no stranger to the pregnancy center world as well. She's been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Christian Broadcasting Network, and other media outlets. And uh, now she's helped launch the Reprotection Organization in 2019 and is now the the CEO um, as of 2021. So we welcome Missy with us and excited to hear what she has for us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, uh, one of those things where we were in DC together and the same at the same meeting yeah. and got connected and it was like, hey, you need to come visit Heartbeat. And so we just had a, a great time visiting and getting to know, hopefully getting to know more about Heartbeat and our uh, some of our key leadership. And we were very, very excited to hear about what's happening at Reprotection because it's been around for so long. It feels like, for, I, I realize it's, it started in the COVID years, right? So it's yeah. so the COVID years feel like forever, they but, really but, it, do but in fact, like it's forever. a crazy time to launch a brand new ministry, but such a needed, needed outreach. Yeah. Explain like, how did that, how did all that come together? So a couple years ago, a, a woman in Indiana, just a pro-life person who was sitting in her office next to an abortion facility noticed that the abortion facility didn't have a wheelchair ramp and women were stumbling out of it after their appointments. And she thought that's strange. Shouldn't buildings have wheelchair ramps or aren't there regulations that say you have to be accessible? Turns out this building was in fact uh, in violation of, of ADA code. And so she filed a complaint, but that started a bigger conversation about abortion facilities and their ability or willingness to obey standards, regulations that are on the books already. We have amazing legislators that are passing pro-life legislation um, and uh, to regulate abortion facilities to the same standard that other medical centers have to have to follow. But what we were finding was there was a lack of enforcement. And these are the standards that are really designed to protect women yes. and to actually facilitate positive health care. Yes. The, these are not, you know, the, too, too often these kind of laws get labeled as, um, as, as kind of antagonistic to the abortion mm-hmm. industry. That's because frankly, they've been given a lot of leeway, political Correct. leeway. Uh, but it, these are really intended to help women and to have the same, just like you said, the same type of things that they should expect in any type of environment where their health is involved. Mm -hmm. These are basic standards like having a licensed staff performing the duties that they are, you know, should be performing, um, building codes to make sure a gurney can go through your hallways. Now that's important because the whole Gosnell story mm-hmm. really exposed yeah. that particular example yeah. uh, of if you've seen the footage from that or the pictures from that, like they had, this is an older building with multiple mm-hmm. staircases, stairways, and, and very small 
uh, hallways, which was then littered with many things. Like the idea that someone would be served in in an emergency situation mm-hmm. was extremely hindered and hampered. And that was one of the big, many big things that were wrong Correct. with the Gosnell case. Correct. And so what we are asking these facilities to do are just meet the same standards that other surgical centers and medical centers have to meet. They have to sterilize their equipment. They have to um, make sure their nar- narcotics are stored properly. They have to have the proper uh, licenses to do what they need to do, you know, a licensed lab tech, you know, licensed nurses, what, whatever they are, you know, because they love to use people who do not have proper credentials. Also a reality for that we, we learned from the Gosnell experience. <laughs> Correct. I appreciate that the story started yeah. with Kathy, I think, right? Yes. Uh, yes. A good friend, Kathy Humbarger, who's been doing this for a number of years yes. and uh, learned a lot of amazing things is really one of the inspirations behind reprotection yeah. as mm-hmm. a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, but we really saw it hit the news yes. in the biggest way with the whole Gosnell experience about mm-hmm. all these various things where he was employing people who were not licensed or, mm-hmm. or credentialed in any way to do Correct. what they were ultimately yeah. doing. And so it's one of those things where we need somebody watching out, out for this. Well, things. so what, what's so interesting about the Gosnell case is that people did file complaints and the fault really lies with the Pennsylvania Health Department because they didn't want to regulate the abortion facility. So the laws were on the books. He was breaking the laws, but because the abortion industry creates such a fuss anytime they are regulated, uh, agencies don't want to touch them. By fuss, you mean that they uh, put their political money behind their own political candidates? Mm-hmm. They that sue. Much, yeah. They that, okay. Sue. Fair enough. Fair mm-hmm. enough. They 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 counter yeah. sue or um, yes. So that they have a lot of power. They have a them. lot of power, and that has scared regulatory agencies. And so people had complained about Gosnell, but what ended up getting him was the DEA. It was it was a drug bust mm-hmm. that went in there, and then all of a sudden they realized they described it as a house of horrors because the Pennsylvania Department of Health dropped the ball. And so that is a perfect example of why we have to now come in and say, how are these facilities breaking the law? Take it to the correct agencies and then hold them accountable, hold these agencies' feet to the fire and say, you need to enforce the laws that are on the books. So from a pharmacy center standpoint, this is kind of interesting because we're the ones that get tagged with being so-called fake clinics. Right. And yet they're the ones that are often violating actual laws on the book. I mean, I, I, we talk about like, look, even if a pre- in, many, in most instances, even if a pregnancy center wanted to be licensed as a, as a clinic, there is no such thing. It all, right. it all happens under the licensure of the medical director or the medical professionals that are involved. There is no, often in most states, there is no specific license to become a clinic. It happens mm-hmm. in a different pattern. And yet here we're talking about actual laws that are crafted uh, uh, to to basically make sure that the abortion is pr- abortion provider is practicing good, good safe. safe practices for mm-hmm. the sake of their patients. These are the ones that are not being followed. Correct, correct. I mean, the irony is not lost on many of us that they say you know women's women's healthcare, safe, legal abortion, and in the cases that we deal with. These women are not safe. Mm-hmm. They are not safe. And we had this case in Florida. Our first abortion closure was in September of, of 2021, where a woman came running out of the facility screaming, call 911 because she was so afraid for her life. That was not a safe, 
that was not safe healthcare for her. And so we have to step in and say, how can we hold these abortion facilities accountable? And when they uh, will not meet those standards because they won't, because it costs money mm-hmm. um, and hurts their bottom line, it hurts their bottom yeah. line. Can we ultimately close them based on their misdeeds? And so that's the goal of reprotection is to help pro-life, the pro-life communities, the pro-life advocates on the ground, close the abortion facilities in their communities. And so you, uh, you're there to really to receive the intel that may mm-hmm. come from sidewalk counselors, advocates that they're out there and they're observing, like the example you gave, you know, observing that this is not being followed or that scenario happens, or, you know, God forbid that she's running out of mm-hmm. the abortion clinic, uh, calling for 911 help in that instance. I know we talked mm-hmm. about that for earlier um, uh, when we had lunch just a little bit ago, that, but they're, they're the ones that are hearing that. And these are also on occasions presenting in pregnancy centers as well. Yes. Yeah. So we get most of our information from the people that are working on the front lines, as I call them, those that are, that are in the trenches with the abortion minded families, the patients and their families, they hear the horror stories from the people that have either gone in those facilities and changed their minds or are had had an abortion experience and are now coming for help either with abortion pill reversal or, you know, healing after an abortion, they hear stories from these women. And a lot of times they go, Hmm, that doesn't sound right. Like Mm -hmm. it's almost like a check in your gut that something about that doesn't sound right. And occasionally the violations are so egregious, like this case in Florida, where a woman is running out screaming, call 911 and afraid for her life. But a lot of these cases are, um, these women were not properly, uh, and didn't receive proper informed consent. Do they really understand what they were signing up for? Usually no, especially with abortion pills. They, they are not told how violent and painful and hurtful the abortion pill process is, oh, you'll be fine. You'll go home. You know, they, they are not being properly consented. Um, they either change that we've had people change their mind in the process and the abortion abortion is saying it's too late. Mm-hmm. It's too Certainly late. We've heard that. At the right. That is, sure. that is not ethical. You, ha- you can rescind your consent at any, at any point. Um, a common one we're hearing now is abortionists putting multiple women in a room and handing them all the pill at the same time. That is unethical. And so those, and, a, and a HIPAA violation. And a HIPAA violation. Mm-hmm. Right. I, but according to the abortion industry, shouldn't the decision be between a, a private decision be between a woman and a physician? Certainly. You know, that, but you're putting 10 women in this room and giving them all the abortion pill at the same time. So we are coming alongside um, sidewalk advocates and pregnancy center. Uh, team members who are hearing this information and they don't know what to do with so it. So by hearing it, they're hearing it like like it just happened. Yeah, I, we we know working in the uh, pregnancy help world that we're often uh, walking with people through a season of mm-hmm. healing, through their uh, regret after abortion. But these are those experiences are usually years, at least until recently. Those are usually right. years old, maybe decades old. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about really dealing with almost active intel where. This practice, we know for a fact, this practice is happening right now at the abortion clinic. And if it just affected the woman that we just talked to, it's likely affecting the woman that's in there now. Right. Those are the types of things that you 
probably have the greatest footing to respond to, or at least to look into further. Mm -hmm. So that's really the kind of the call that you're wanting to receive as yes, well. Yes. And of course you have what hundreds, thousands of people who are helping you. <laughs> Eventually the goal <laughs> one day, maybe um, we do have a small team um, of researchers that take every case and we look and see, okay, was there a violation? What are the state laws? What was there a violation? Who is responsible because basically, and that, that's going to vary because we have 50, that's gonna have 50 states plus uh, the, uh, whatever we call DC, the, the district of Columbia, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's 51 actually different governing authorities. Yes. And then within that, even within each state, it could be in the department of health. It could be a, a separate issue altogether. Mm -hmm. And so you have to it's really chase on a lot of information. Yes, we do. And that's why what we do is so important because what we want to happen is we want the sidewalk counselors to get back to sidewalk counseling. We want the pregnancy centers to get back to helping abortion minded women. Let us do the digging through legal code and, uh, agents, bureaucracy. My husband jokes and says, I read red tape for a living. And that's really true. Um, you know, we spend the time identifying, okay, we have this information. How can we make it actionable? How can we use it to advocate for this patient and also, uh, interrupt or close the abortion business altogether. And so who is responsible for this oversight? So you just need that key actionable Intel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the on the on you so when something arises in the pregnancy center, for instance, or with the sidewalk counselors, you need them to relay that to you as soon mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. So how best can someone do that? Mm -hmm. We have an email, uh, info at reproduction.org, and those all come to me. We read through them and I assign them to one of our research cases. We also have on our website a take action page that has a form that you can fill out if you want to report a, a violation. And and I want to be clear that we handle these cases very carefully. Mm -hmm. We put the, the health of the client, um, the relationship that you have with the client, um, the privacy, we are, we do not publicize any information. We know that these women are, have just been through a traumatic experience and we are, we never want to put them in a position that would either hinder their healing or be more painful for them. And so we are going to handle each case and let you lead as the pregnancy center contact, let you lead with the patient um, and how and how much they feel comfortable being involved. So that, that's a very safe place for the pregnancy center yeah. to be. And knowing that you're there and your team, your small, but mighty team <laughs> is are trying to make things happen and walking with them and with her in the, with the sensitivity that we all carry of her, her right. confidentiality, really right. fulfilling her desire. It's not so much about what we want or what, right. we, what we want to happen to the abortion clinic. It's really about her and what mm -hmm. she wants. And you've, you've encountered the, the women that, that are, that are yeah. so upset and so bothered. They know that they were yeah. wronged they and want they, justice. they, uh, thank you. They want, they want, they want something to happen. Yeah. They want justice. And so you're there to help them. Mm -hmm. And in the process, providing a great service to pregnancy centers and sidewalk yeah. advocates. I, I just can't imagine, I can't imagine reading red tape for a living, <laughs> uh, but I'm grateful Missy that you and your team are doing that. Yeah. One last thought for our pregnancy help community. Mm -hmm. Any information um, even if it's old, you know, you referred to, you have cases that might be a long time ago. Um, we want to build really solid cases. And so even if it is historical information, when we have a case and we call you, we want to hear the whole story. You know, we need to get every, every ounce of information we can to build those cases. And so 
We are listening ears. We are a sponge. We want to take it and look through it. And then we will just come alongside you. We, we file the complaints and then we do the follow through and we don't let go until we get the answer that we want. And sometimes that takes a while. I mean, we have cases that are going on a few years now, but we have not let them go. And uh, we are going to keep fighting until we get the... Yeah, that only makes sense because you're often dealing with government uh, (laughs) uh, agencies and bureaucracies, which by itself is a grinding process, Mm -hmm. just even of knowing who the right person to talk to. Yeah. Well, Missy, I'm grateful that for you guys, I'm grateful for you kind of leading this effort. So appreciative of Kathy and others who have kind of walked this path. Mm -hmm. It's a great service for the pregnancy help community and for the pro-life movement in general. And frankly, for women who really uh, uh, deserve to be loved and supported in their pregnancy and not taken advantage of like the abortion industry is inclined to do. Yeah. So thank you for everything. Yeah, you're welcome. God bless you. Well, thanks, Missy, for joining us. And we're so glad you'll be at our our Jacksonville conference at the end of the month. Uh, Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about our annual conference, visit heartbeatservices.org. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast.